Hi everyone and welcome to Play Crush. It's Joe Murphy here. Today we have one of my favourite actors of all time as I guest, the wonderful Stefan Rodri. I had the honour of working with Stefan on Wojtek at the Old Vic. That role typified why I think he is such a fantastic actor. He's equal parts completely hilarious and utterly chilling. You will know Stefan from his prodigious and prolific career, but here are just a few highlights. Stefan is currently shooting In My Skin Series 2 for the BBC. He recently wrapped his series regular Alan on TV series Museum and at the end of last year shot feature film Don't Breathe Again for Bad Ombre. Other notable film work includes Dream Horse, directed by Joros Lin and opposite Tony Collette. Wonder Woman, directed by Patty Jenkins for Warner Brothers. Submarine, directed by Richard Ayardi for Warp Films. Ironclad, directed by Jonathan English for Mythic. And Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows, directed by David Yates. Can't believe I got to talk to a Harry Potter actor. Uh, recent TV credits include Temple, directed by Luke Snellen for Hero Productions and BBC. A very English scandal uh, for BBC. Keeping Faith uh, for Vox and BBC. We Hunt Together for Channel 5. The Last Kingdom for Carnival and BBC. And Manhunt for ITV, among many, many others. An exceptional stage actor, Stefan first came to prominence on screen playing Dave Coaches in Gavin and Stacey. I didn't talk to Stefan about this in the interview because I am a huge Gavin and Stacey fan and I did not want to embarrass myself by simply gushing at him and giving endless quotes from Gavin and Stacey. So I'm glad I managed to hold back there. Stefan is a hilarious, insightful and fascinating man. And it was such a pleasure to have the chance to sit down and talk to him about his career, his life and his play crush. Stefan's play crush was a trilogy that has appeared before on the show. The Norman Conquest by Alan Aitbourne. It's the first time we've had repeat choice on the show. Uh, Matthew Warchus talked about the play in a previous episode, but I found it fascinating to hear two different people have two completely different takes on the same material. One as a director from the outside almost, and then from Stefan as an actor from the inside. For those who don't know the trilogy, these three plays were first performed at the Library Theatre in Scarborough in 1973. The plays that make up the Norman Conquest are Table Manners, Living Together and Round and Round the Garden. The trilogy charts the events of a single weekend from the perspective of these locations, dining room, living room and garden. An assistant librarian, Norman, attempts to seduce the three women present at the house with varying results. They are a hilarious set of plays that also contain a quiet profundity and emotional gut punch, best described in this Michael Holt quote. The Norman Conquest is a trilogy of plays perhaps most famous for having no offstage action. By making the offstage action of one play the onstage action of another, the whole work describes an eventful weekend in a house. Each play stands alone, but each contains the offstage action unseen but implied in the other two. When a character moves from one room in the first play, he enters another setting in the next one. Thus, to see all three plays is to see all the action, both on stage and off. It's an incredible demonstration of playwriting skill, but it is not just the technical feat that sticks in the mind on seeing these plays. As Frank Rich says, the Norman Conquest is not only funny, but impossibly wise about sex, marriage, love and loneliness. Thank you again for everyone to listening to the podcast and supporting Sherman Theatre and the Old Vic. It really means the world to us. And now, without further ado, 
Here is Stefan Rodri with the Norman Conquests. Hello, Steph. How's it going? Hi, Joe. How are things? Very well. How are you? Yes, not bad, not bad. Enjoying a, a nice bit of sunshine, which is it's slightly rare here in Wales of late. So that's been uh, well, really as lovely. you're discovering. Yes, I know. Um, I'm from even <laughs> further west than where you are, which uh, which can be wet, but uh, I refuse to buy into the into the cliche of wet Wales. When people here in London say, "Oh, I went to Wales once; it was so wet," and I said, "Well, I either say yes, that's to keep English people out." <laughs> or, I, or, or I say, uh, that's why it's so beautiful, you know, which it is. It is. And I mean, it is, it is stunning. Oh, yeah, definitely. And like, but the sun having just come out over these last week or two has just been mm. unbelievable and a much, uh, much needed antidote. I found January pretty tough this year, obviously, yeah. for a number of reasons, but, but the weather wasn't helping. No, and I was in Cardiff, actually, through a, a, a lot of December and January. So, um, yeah, I know it was... Uh, the, and the lockdowns were better observed, I think, in Wales. And so it was quiet, wasn't it? <laughs> yes, 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 very much so. Yes, definitely. And and what were you doing in Cardiff then? What brought you up this way? Well, I was doing some filming of um, a series for S4C, the Welsh language channel, called Amgieva, which means museum. And it's a thriller based around the National Museum of Wales, which is a wonderful art gallery, actually. Uh, well, you know, it's a great museum, but the, but a, a fantastic resort. If you haven't been yet, you must assume, I think it's probably open again now, is it? Or it will do soon. I think we've um, got about two weeks or something before okay, it opens up. Then you must get there. It's got a wonderful, wonderful collection there, especially um, of impressionists that were collected by two sisters, the Davis sisters, and given as a resource in the... 30s i think um to the nation given to wales and um wow. they're, they're wonderful you know million pounds worth millions of pounds worth of monets and manets and Cezannes and things and it's wow. a great collection so anyway it's a fictional thriller based around uh the art in there and you know yeah and uh art theft and you know um uh yeah the legacy of the davis sisters and so on yeah yeah, I was about to say, I, I couldn't quite figure out how a thriller and a museum went together, but art theft now makes total sense. Of course. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and how have you been anyway? How's the last year been? It must have been pretty surreal as an actor to work in all these kind of new uh, environments. Yeah, very odd. Um, yeah, I mean, I've got my Yeti microphone here, which I purchased, <laughs> which I purchased right at the bit, you know, just before the lockdown, thinking, well, it's going to be lots of voiceover work and, you know, but it didn't really transpire. Um yeah, but I've done odd things. I kept my hand in. Um, you know, obviously there's been no theatre, and that's a huge, huge loss for me. Um, I, I'm very lucky. I do a fair bit of filming, you know, TV and film work, um, and some voice work. But uh, you know, my great love is to do theatre, and I can't wait to get back out to do that. But um, yeah, I did keep my hand in. I um, very early on, actually, in the first week of the lockdown. Um, a, a, a kind of light bulb moment happened when I, I started started to experience um, what we all did in the first at the very beginning that people were beginning to connect on Zoom and so on and mm. uh, all sorts of things were springing up and uh, my partner's very good at that actually she was kind of you know enlisting me to do like dance classes and lectures and things <laughs> online I was like you know whatever you know we need to do something um, and I thought well this is good and I don't know why it came to me but um I remember that uh, when I did uh, uh, lots of Shakespeare at Theatre Cluid with the late, great Terry Hans, um, one of the things Terry would do most day, well, sort of every other day of rehearsals, is we'd take an hour at the beginning of the afternoon and do sonnet sessions. 
and he he brought this with him from his days at the RSC. And um, he thought, and I totally agree, it's a great way for actors to learn how to do Shakespeare, really. So you take a sonnet, you know, and the group um, agrees that, you know, each will learn a sonnet. So you learn it by heart and um, just take it in turn to deliver it to the group. And um, and then the group led by someone. Uh, and in our case, uh, it was Philip Green, who worked under the tutelage of um of Terry Hans at Cloyd and I got to know and become good friends with. Yeah, so we we did this online. And um and what happens then is the group just sort of gently and kindly but rigorously takes apart the person's sonnet performance, you know. <laughs> um which is a great way to and I mean Phil is, you know, is a great sort of Shakespearean director now. His winter's um comedy of errors actually will be the first thing that opens uh, the RSC in their new outdoor theatre for the summer season, you know. And um so yeah, he's getting pretty good at Shakespeare and he was great to lead this. <laughs> and I put um so I started off with just six or eight of us who'd worked at Cloyd and then when we realised, actually, this is quite a good idea, I just let it add in mates of mine, really. So they were mates I'd worked with at the RSC or at the Young Vic. Um, I don't know if there were any from the old Vic uh, performances I've done, but anyway, just various people that I've kind of collected as good actors along the way, really, as friends. <laughs> and by the end, there were, you know, I don't know, about 18 of us. And uh, we'd meet weekly and quite, yeah, quite religiously and, and in a very dedicated way. And take it in turns to give sonnets to a Zoom meeting and uh, and support each other in learning a lot more about how to do Shakespeare through that. It culminated in in one of those sort of periods between lockdowns when um, places were trying to get things on around, uh, what was it, around October we did it, or was it possibly early November, before the final lockdown anyway, mm. at an art centre in Maidenhead um, where Phil now lives and he'd made contact with a local arts centre and they let us put it on, put on an evening with a, oh, a sort of socially distanced live audience and a Zoom audience. Um, not just Zoom audience, actually some Zoom um, uh, participants. So some of our people <laughs> who were either abroad, like one one person was in Tel Aviv and um, another is uh, Annie Furbank, who's you know, 86 or whatever Annie is and just didn't want to leave the house, understandably. So she Zoomed in and, you know, and it was yeah. great. It was wonderful. So that that kind of, yeah, that's one thing that kept me going. <laughs> that's amazing. I mean, that's a lot of rigour and discipline. Yeah. Um, and to achieve those that kind of sharing and storytelling. And do you yeah. think, like, has the last year, the last 18 months, whatever it might be, um, kind of uh, only taught, only re-emphasised the value of like theatre and stories and live performance. Have you felt that? Yeah, definitely. And, um, you know, one of the things that, I mean, you know, look, I'm not against the sort of recording of theatre that's happened. Uh, I know that some people got huge value out of it. And we did enjoy doing this sonnet evening, but I never wanted to get too good at that. I never Mm, wanted to, I never wanted to be in a position where, I mean, I was trying to resist being a complete Luddite about it and saying, well, okay, you know, people have to adapt and, you know. Um, but as I say, I was a bit resistant, I have to say. And, um, yeah, and, and and with this sonnet group, it wasn't my idea to do a live performance, actually. It was it was Phil's. And, and I saw, as I say, I sort of went along with it. But it, I wasn't, it, that wasn't the intention in the first place. The intention was to keep the feeling of a laboratory of actors going, you know, mm. whereby we could share work with each other in a safe environment, like in a rehearsal room, until we're ready again to go back on stage with audiences, you know. Mm-hmm, and um, mm-hmm. 
And and I think we, you know, we went some way to doing that. I think it was a, a lifeline for, especially in those early months. You know, remember back to a year ago now, April, mate, when when everything was quiet, there was no traffic, there was, you know, the days were long, weren't they? You know, and, yeah, yeah. And um, and and actors wanted to that connection with other actors to be able to share their work. Um, and eventually, that did has of course developed into filmed performances that go online. Um, as I said, I haven't really watched many. Haven't been mm. that into it particularly um as i say i can't wait to that you know that is done incredibly well it, on it's called film and it's called tv you know? <laughs> and um <laughs> and, and it's a different thing you know and and um whilst as i say i'm not doing down the efforts to to put that on and some people get a huge amount from watching the live experience on screen i, I i'm not one particularly i want i want to get back into live theaters and and let let film be done by film people you know yeah, definitely. No, I hear that completely. And you say get back to, I mean, has has theatre, has that live performance, has that always been a part of your life? I mean, like, mm. when, when did you come to that? How did that kind of relationship with that performance kind of start? Oh, very young. Um, you know, I mean, as I say, I'm Welsh and, uh, and, and performing is very much uh, a part of Welsh life, especially uh, growing up uh, speaking Welsh and with a Welsh language culture in, um, you know, the chapel and school and so on. Um, but uh, on top of that, uh, as well as well as, you know, that general feeling that a lot of us have on top of that, my parents particularly, well, my parents met in an amateur dramatics company. Um, and so they were um they were the stalwarts of this company my dad uh, you know when i was very little they were both actors in it but quite soon, when i was fairly young my dad became their main director as well and um you know I, people will have different impressions of what amateur drama companies are but this one was a, a an incredibly prolific uh, wonderful company that uh, worked in the welsh language in swansea and they used to hire the Grand Theatre in Swansea, a thousand-seater, every uh, October half-term, because a lot of them were teachers. So um, that was a convenient time. And they would rehearse in the months uh, up, up until then. And and in my very younger days, when I was a kid, they would put on three plays in the Swansea Grand over a week. So they'd each have like two or three performances. You know, they'd hire it from Monday to Saturday. And, um, and it'd be packed. It'd be absolutely wow. packed, you know. Um, I'm not saying every show was sold a thousand seats, but but some did, and you know most of them were pretty packed um, for three plays. They do um, two comedies and a drama, as they used to call it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good um, rule of thumb. It's a good yeah, rule. Yeah, two of comedies thumb. and a drama, and um, and it was it was hugely popular. And uh, you know, Swansea is an area which has a lot of Welsh speakers. But quite spread out, you know. So you wouldn't mm-hmm. think necessarily that Swansea is a, a strong Welsh-speaking area. But when you add, a, so you know, maybe ten percent of the the whole of the Swansea kind of surrounding area speak Welsh. But that's still a, that's a hell of a lot of people, you know. That's mm. thousands and thousands of people. So they would bust them in from you know societies and clubs and chapels and so on from further out west and up the valleys and so on. And um, yeah, they'd have huge audiences. So I grew up. My sister and I would you know for that week would be would have the run of the place really in the Swansea Grand. We'd be looked <laughs> after by the wardrobe mis- mistress Doddy and by the um, and by the makeup guy Wilf. And we'd just hang around and we'd you know and we'd. You know the the grand theatre staff, the regular staff, got to know us, and we would just have, we'd run up to the gods and play up there whilst they were doing tech rehearsals and dress rehearsals and so on. And of course, whenever 
any you know supernumeraries were needed like a wedding scene or something we would be drafted in and put in costume and put on stage you know and it mm. all sounds pretty idyllic but it was you know it was it was that <laughs> sort of smell of the grease paint roar of the crowd and it was grease paint too i remember the makeup was kind of like really oily stuff you know that they would cake on and you know but um yeah and wonderful people wonderful friends my parents had and so on and that was kind of their big massive part of their lives you know so so that became uh yeah that, it was sort of in the blood i guess because I, and so any then opportunities to to perform either in school or in what we call Ailuid, which is the the Welsh language youth club, and so on. I would, you know, I'd always be performing in those. My uncle was my mum's well, sort of uncle, cousin, whatever you call it. He's my mum's first cousin. Is a wonderful actor called Will Thomas. Um, he's he's been in many great things. Um, you, you might know him from the cult film Twin Town. He plays the lead in that. You know. Ah um, yes. Um, he plays Bryn Cartwright, the the the, the mobster. In that, right. um, one of the most amazing. famous things Will did, which he used to hate whenever he used to go up for a pint, and people would find out with actors, I'd tell them, is that uh, in the the most famous "Only Fools and Horses" clip where Del Boy falls through the bar, yeah, Will Will is the barman. He's the <laughs> he, he's the one who lifts the hat. I mean, he's got he's got a few lines earlier on in the scene, you know, but then during that bit, he walks through, lifts the hatch, and then Del Boy falls through it. So, but oh I mean, he, no, he's but, an icon. He's yeah, an icon. Yeah, he is, and he's and he's played at the old. Vic. He was in the Cornish Green with Deborah Cart, the old Vic. Oh, fantastic! Many in the seventies. Yeah, he's great, and you know I'm still very close to him. So he was very close to us as a family because he was an only child, and he was my mum's first cousin. He didn't have any other brothers, sisters. He used to come and stay a lot, and so on. And I kind of used to see his lifestyle of being an actor living in London and think, hmm, looks fun, you know. <laughs> and we and we used to and we used to play a lot. He used to act. At, he was twenty years older than me, so come and stay when he was in his 30s and I was in my teens and we would just mess about like improvising and we I didn't know even the word improvising in those days but we would just be in character for hours on end whoever we thought we were you know like a couple of lorry drivers or a couple whatever you know mm. and um or we'd put on stupid accents and you know and so yeah that was a massive influence I think that there was that it was known to me that you could be an actor for a living you know mm, yeah um it's amazing then, how steeped you were in that as a kid like just, and how natural yeah. it must have all been not not yeah. really a, an, a, an other thing it's just yeah. a part of your life it's amazing yeah I guess so and then um you know my sister was very much uh you know interested as well and she joined before me the West great wonderful West Glamorgan Youth Theatre so if you've had I Michael mean, Sheen on which I think you might have he will have told you yeah. all about the West Glamorgan Youth Theatre and the I great mean of all who ran it yeah, all, uh, we've had a few Welsh guests, and 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 that youth theatre just comes up and up and up totally, and up yeah, as just totally. the place. Well, the yeah, the West Glamorgan one, and then um, which Michael did as well, the the National Youth Theatre of Wales, which was based at the Sherman, Joe, exactly. Where oh, wow! So we were. I did uh, a course there where I did a performance on the main stage of um, uh, an adaptation of Thomas Decker's The Shoemaker's Holiday, called <laughs> Ingloriously. It was called. A load of old cobblers. Um, <laughs> Come on, make no comment title. as to whether that was a description of the production or not. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and in the, at the same time, in the uh, in the arena theatre, uh, in the studio theatre, was a, um, a production of Antigone in Welsh, directed by Kerry Sherlock. Um, and I I don't know how this happened, but I managed to be in both at the same time. So. Um, 
Shoemaker's, I think I was the only one actually who managed to be in both. So Shoemaker's Holiday would go up at 7.30 and Antigone would go up at 8. And I was in a couple of early scenes of Shoemaker's <laughs> Holiday, get changed into my toga and my blind kind of bandage because I was playing Tiresias in Antigone. Do Antigone, which wasn't very long. And then we'd all, that's right, we would all then be in the finale of a Shoemaker's Holiday, which was a kind of music hall Edwardian version of it. And uh, we'd all then leg it into our Edwardian <laughs> costumes and do the final chorus in, on the main stage. So anyway, that was that. But before that was, yeah, the West Morgan so Theatre, which you'll have heard of. And Did anyone ever um, turn up in the wrong costume? Like, was there an Edwardian <laughs> one in Antigone or a toga in Goblins? <laughs> it would have been more obvious if an Edwardian red coat had walked into Antigone, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, but then... Um, yeah, but before that, the West Morgan Youth Theatre, and um, as I say, you heard Michael Sheen perhaps talk about that. I did. Um, mm. We did. We did a wonderful. You know, it was fantastic. We used to do courses, residential courses, and put on productions, and and we even went on tour. You know, in when was it nineteen eighty three? Went on tour to Denmark with two main house productions of The Crucible and Midsummer Night's Dream, and three um, studio plays. Uh, written by uh, youth theatre members. So one was written by oh, wow. Simon Harris, the writer and director. One was written by Nick McGaughy, who's still acting. And one was written by Russell T. Davis. Remember him? Oh, yeah, um, yeah. He, and, I, I feel and, like he could have a future. There might yeah, be something Yeah, we thought him. kind of, yeah, you know, he did. <laughs> and, um, and actually in the production of The Crucible, Russell was playing uh, the Reverend Hale. Um, and there were many oh, great brilliant. actors in that, you know, was still acting Darren Lawrence and Jeremy Thomas and... Um, who else was there? Susan, Flint, Susan James, she was then Susan Flynn. And I mean, wonderful people. And there was, yeah, so there's Russell and one of uh, Herrick, the jailer, one of his helpers, because it was too many for, to, for everybody to have lines. <laughs> one of Herrick's kind of helpers who just came on with chains to take witches away was a young Michael Sheen. Because <laughs> so, he was, a bit, he was you know, a year or two younger than me. Um, and I was playing Giles Corey and I was 80 years of age. You know, so. Oh, great. It was great. So, so then, so that was my youth, and but you know what? There were so many. Uh, I don't know what whether this was. There were so many great actors that I knew. You know, young young actors of my age that I knew. I, I some of whom were trying for drama school and so on. Um, well, there were two reasons actually why I didn't go to drama school. One was because looking around at all of these brilliant people, I thought, well, I, I don't know if I'm good enough actually to get into drama school. And secondly, um, and that was, that isn't false humility. You know, that's like, mm-hmm. well, hang on. There's the, he's going, he's She's got, you know, I'm like, I don't know that good. You know, I'm just like, you know, maybe I should think elsewhere. And, but also my dad was of the generation that he, he was a teacher and he, you know, had, become a teacher because it was like a short course and, you know, couldn't afford to go to university and so on. And he just really wanted both of us to go to university and used to impress that upon us, you know, with a, quite a lot of passive aggression. <laughs> but, uh, no, but I mean, I understand is, you know, in those days, going to drama school was not even a degree. It was, you know, it was, yeah. it was quite a singular track. And um, anyway, cut a long story short, for those reasons, I went to um, Exeter University. Didn't you as well? As did I, Stefan, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah I yeah, thought yeah. I remembered that, yeah. The alma mater, did, yeah. Yeah, and I did uh, English and drama there. And as you'll know, it's a wonderful, when I was there anyway, quite a bit before you, um, it was it's a wonderful, very, very practical course. It was sort of, yeah. you know, the best of all worlds, really, except that it doesn't prepare you 
for the business as such. You know, it doesn't yeah, yeah. pay how to get an agent and how to get work, but it does teach you so much on a practical level about mm. performance and everything, you know. So, yeah. So that's how I got into it. <laughs> oh, fantastic. But I mean, I, I mean, I loved Exeter. And again, I think you're absolutely mm. right. Like, it's so practical. I mean, it taught me about directing, but all my yeah. acting friends as well. But you're right. What it doesn't do is bridge you into the industry. So no. uh, how, how did you do that jump? Because I find a lot of actors yeah. from university, that's the failing point, you know, because yeah. there isn't a connection between those universities and the industry. To be, honest, in. to be honest, if I didn't speak Welsh, I don't think I would have. I think that my experience in Exeter would have led me in a different direction, whether that would have been into teaching or some, you know, use it. You know, I, I really wanted to, you know, use the, what I'd learned in Exeter, but it might have been in terms of drama therapy or teaching or something, you know? Right, right, right. Um, because I don't know how I would have got in to the industry, as, as we call it, you know, um, if it wasn't for speaking Welsh. But because I spoke Welsh... Um, my sister had started to uh, perform professionally. She eventually became a teacher, but for, you know, for all her twenties, she was uh, an actor. And so she was, she sort of, you know, was getting in the know of the situation in Wales. And she told me that um, a company in North Wales, which still exists called Cumnir Vran Wen. Um, oh, they're brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. They, and they were then based in Harlech, not in um, Porthaith or Menai Bridge, where right. they are now. Um, that they were holding open auditions and that they, you know, back in these days when these things mattered, um, and they still should, in my opinion, but they they had an equity card to give right. um, to anybody that they took on. They didn't they weren't necessarily definitely gonna take people on. They were open auditions, you know, but if they wanted so anyway, cut a long story short, I went, I got my dad to drive me, you know, leaving at five in the morning. And we went up to <laughs> bless him, he took me up to Harlech and um and I loved it. You know, it was I mean, coming from well, as you know what the type of stuff we would have been doing in Exeter, mm. um, you know, I mean it was just you know, like rolling off the log to me, you know, to get kind of mm. go in there and do the sort of studio work and improvisation that they would and um it's always felt fully prepared for that, you know. But it, yeah. and, and it was in Welsh, you know. And and so anyway, they offered me a job and I went there for one project, but I stayed for three, I stayed for nine months and I lived in a wow. in, in a caravan on uh, down towards the beach, <laughs> it was great. It was. Pretty I mean, idyllic. that sounds amazing. It was great. It was. I mean, it was. It was a caravan on a site. You know, it wasn't like my own little Petrocelli kind of. You know. Yeah, in my head, like... you're just on a bluff somewhere. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, it was. A, it was like an old crappy caravan on a, on a site, and because it was all I could afford, because you know, Harlech is a pretty high rental town in the summer. You know, so um, yeah, and I was up and running then, so I thought, thought okay, I'm acting, and then. Um, I started doing, yeah, so then a job came up at Theatre Powys, which is another theatre and education company, um, uh, and yeah, and I applied for that and got that, became a company member there, and I was there on and off for four or five years, eh? and and I loved that, and I loved working with young people, and I loved, especially at Powys, especially there, um, I loved the um, the rigor that we had with the work that, you know, and, and it could really be, it was the last vestiges. It was the last time when a theatre and education company could say, we're doing a play or a project about this because we think it's important, um, rather than, which what happened very soon after, you know, people, anybody working with young people were told, this is the curriculum, this is what we want you to do. Right, and, yeah. and we didn't have to do that. 
So, for example, um, one of the company members' mum had come on the kinder transport from Berlin in 1938. She was Jewish and wow. had escaped Berlin and um, and had left her very good friend in Berlin who wasn't Jewish and da da da. And they'd met up years later. It was fa- an, an incredible wow. story. And so we got Aunt's mum to come in and talk to us, and we and we did a play about that, you know, and, yeah, and in in effect about the Holocaust, you know, <laughs> but it was yeah, for ten yeah. year old, and <laughs> but it was a story about a girl who, you know, and and it was amazing, you know, and and I still stand by that as one of the most the, the most you know interesting and important pieces of work I've ever done. But it was it was for ten and eleven year olds in mid Wales in tiny little schools with the dinner ladies banging away behind the counter and stuff and you know but we were able to do that we had the freedom to do that and and uh you know it, it i sometimes feel it's a shame that artists are not able to offer what they have to offer in education rather than what they're told is needed you know yeah definitely i, I mean i completely agree but what's striking me steph is like it's you know from the outside your your the your career is I see so much of the screen stuff, obviously, just because it gets wide, you know, mm. the, the films and the TV work. Um, uh, and there's a sort of um, really high-end nature to the work you do. But it's really exciting to hear that all of those roots are from Amdram and education work and, like, yeah. real, like, boots-on-the-ground, grassroots theatre work. Yeah, yeah. And that's so you, and, and has that stayed with you through... No, or Does it change if you're doing like, you know, a Harry Potter or a big TV series? <laughs> or, or, or is it the, like, you, is it is it the same? Are those, is that is that mission always the same for you? Is, or, or do you, does it change depending oh, on... What I don't know. Out? I mean, I'm not really sure how to answer that. I, I think that the, um, I think the feet on the ground thing stays with you. I, think, I mean, you know mm. from Exeter that, I mean, I often say this, and as I say, I don't know if it still existed when you were there. I hope it did, but... There was um, a kind of discipline and a rigor mm. to, and a, a peer-imposed rigor. I always tell people mm. um, to what we did in Exeter that has been so important to me throughout my career. That and by peer-imposed, well, you know what I mean. That that mm. you weren't, you know, it wasn't frowned upon as much by the tutors if you didn't turn up rehearsal. It was your peers who were saying, "Where the f were you?" You know, it's right, like yeah. you, yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, you do, you weren't late. You weren't, you know, you were prepared. You always knew your lines. You all, you know. And and that was because of the atmosphere we instilled, you know, to each other really of the importance mm. of it. And so, um, so that I have, I think I've carried that throughout my career. I try to anyway. And um, yeah, and then what I did at Theatre Powers, as I say, I, you know, the integrity of the the importance of of work, I always look for as well. You know. Um, in terms of what what this work is is trying to say, you know, it's you know socially, politically, and so on. You know, I mean, that's not always possible. You know, you get offered a nice yeah, part, yeah. and it's and it's a play that is you know a bit commercial or whatever. But you know, and so you do it. Or but you know, in general, yeah, I think it has. Um, I think it has. I think it's uh, you know, and I and I'm uh, the other thing it's given me. And talk about. Amdram and whatever and <laughs> education is it's given me a gratitude I mean I've got to be honest you know I don't often say this but every absolutely everything I've done in my career since I'm about 29 30 has been way 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 beyond anything I ever thought I would do you know so when you go back to that boy <laughs> at 18 watching yeah other actors going to drama school and thinking well I probably won't get in then you know my ambitions were limited really you know I, I yeah I mean theater and education Welsh language TV, with all respect, and you know, yeah, okay, if I can get a regular part in some, that's great, and you know, 
but actually it's been amazing and what i have you know had the the mm. opportunity to do since you know the age of 30 so you know i i, I have a great immense gratitude really for that i think i hope that that continues yeah and i love that the the grounded sense of that is really beautiful i think and really great to hear and well also... i see i see you know i i sometimes you know i feel for young actors these days who you know who i see and and it's not their fault that they don't have it because they you know go to drama school and they come out and they're auditioning straight away for the next lord of the rings series or the next game of thrones <laughs> or whatever or the next big movie or the next big lead in the national or whatever and you know, I, I I sometimes hear them lacking that gratitude, and I'm not being an old mm. foggy about this. I'm just saying I'm glad I've got it because I come from, you know, I come from a place where I didn't expect any of that in my twenties. You know, so definitely, and I think that can be really hard as well because I feel like yeah. nowadays with actors, there's a sense that if you haven't made it by like your mid twenties, that's like it, you're written yeah. off. Yeah. As opposed to that, exactly, you talked about that longevity, that career, that in proper career um, that you're investing in. Oh, totally, and, and I'm still waiting like... for that moment in a sense. You know, I look at, you know, one of my heroes <laughs> when I look at their careers is Liz Smith, you know, played Nana in The Royal Family. And I think, you know, Liz Smith did, you know, did loads of work you know, throughout her career, but nobody knew who she was. And then she became Nana in her, like, early 60s or whatever. And she had this yeah. huge career and was, you know, and I think, yeah, well, <laughs> you know, it's still time, Steph. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, so true, so true. <laughs> and I think also, just to back up a little bit, we talked about earlier. It, yeah. As you said, although the roles don't always have, you know, Sometimes there are commercial roles, some things. Yeah. What What is incredibly refreshing to hear is that I feel like you've got a, a real value system of how you approach the role, even if the role itself is commercial or whatever. The value system remains the same in the in and the work ethic, which I think is a great thing for particularly mm. for younger actors and artists to hear right now, because I think a hard work, gratitude, and a work ethic is what's going to help get through this really difficult time. Um, yeah I think so and I think what you know the other thing I would say to young actors is not that this is a kind of like you know me teaching <laughs> young actors but, <laughs> I, but I do think that you know sometimes waiting for those um, if I had just sat around waiting for one of these great kind of big tv series to land or something you know I'd have done very little to be honest mm, you know yeah. whereas I think what I have done instead is gone well what's the next job you know and yeah and what's the next job with integrity that you know that I, yeah. I i can see myself doing and and um you know i've i've been lucky really i haven't had to do much else other than act you know because of that yeah. i haven't you know and i you know I, I mean the different schools of thought you know there's some people yeah. who are happy kind of serving coffee or working in a bar or whatever waiting to land the big one and mm. I, that's fine I mean, but that's not me you know i wanted to work as an actor as much as I can and that's pretty much all I've done and and you know that's I've been lucky to be doing that for 30 years 30, oh. 30 years now so it's so exciting and it's great to hear and I mean what are those you said you know from the 30s on mm. you know you've been doing those really exciting things have you got one or two like career highlights or any ones that stick out there that you just think like these couple um, of things just were well changed. I mean what you know my life changed really we're going to talk a bit in a minute about my play crush but my life yeah. changed when I went to theatre power uh, theatre cloyd sorry um theatre cloyd when I was 30 and um up until then I as I say I'd done theatre and education I'd done the odd sort of small scale play in 
Wales in Welsh only, I think. And then, and I'd done some TV in the Welsh language as well. Um, and I was kind of jobbing along, you know, as I said, I'd mm. only really worked as an actor during my twenties as well, just managed to, you know, get, get by perfectly happily doing that. And then an opportunity came to go to theatre Chloe to become a company member under Terry Hands when he took it over and everything changed for me from then on, really. Um, I started to feel like I might be a proper actor. <laughs> um, and it was, you know, it, it, I do feel like it was a late start. You know, some of my peers who have had similar careers to me were were doing this kind of stuff I've done since in their 20s as well. So I do feel like I was, you know, I had a late start compared with them. But I but I wouldn't give up what I did do in my 20s either, you know, with that, mm. that um, smaller scale work, you know. So, um, yeah, but Terry... Um, took over Cloyd and it was on its last legs really and he completely revitalized it and picked it up by its bootstraps and and turned the place around and um the first thing he did there uh, he broke the bank and 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 uh put together a company for a whole season you know from August 97 till April 98 you know where mm-hmm. tw- about 25 of us just put on five or six I can't remember like a whole season of plays you know and mm. um and it was an incredible experience. You know, obviously he used his experience at the RSC uh, to go on. You know, he, he felt it was, you know, another version of that in a sense, you know, somewhere mm. out in the middle, not in the middle of nowhere, but, you know, a, away from the big city kind of thing, you mm-hmm, know, which mm-hmm. Chloe is, you know. And, um, and, and there was that kind of vibe there for us actors as well. We were a company, we were a troupe, you know, and we were all living out in the country and, I mean, you know, late night lock-ins in country pubs and stuff, and you know, and it was wonderful. It was really wonderful, but the work was incredibly hard and incredibly rewarding as well, you know. Mm. Um, and I worked with, you know, not just with Terry, but in that first season, worked with Fiona Buffini, who's a great director as well, um, who's kind of had career breaks, but is back directing now, I think. And and uh, the other person who, you know. I, I love these kind of knock-on, connect the small waves that then become bigger. Mm. You know, um, a young Dominic Cook, um, <laughs> amazing, and he directed uh, me in a play called *A Four Night Come* by David Rudkin, which was a great, wonderful production of a great play that that everybody stayed away from. <laughs> we were doing it to like twenty people in, in, in the main house. I don't know why people didn't come because it was fantastic. But anyway, yeah. Um, so yeah, life changing, really doing that kind of main house work, working mm. with great, exciting directors. Um, and then the following year, I went back, and then that's when I did The Norman Conquest. So I don't know if you want to talk about them yet. Mm, yes, no, that's, I mean, what a perfect, uh, perfect <laughs> leader. Seamlessly moved into... Well, I didn't know when he... Point. I mean, you asked me to choose a play, and uh, I didn't know when you'd want to get onto it, but it sort of seems like an appropriate time. It's perfect, yeah. Okay, yeah. So what happened then the following year? I'd done In the first year, I did, I think, four plays. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, it's sort of... You know, yeah, I mean, I'd enjoyed it. One of them was Abigail's Party, which was fantastic, and the other one was A Fortnight Come, and then a couple of things with Terry, but playing smaller parts, I guess. The following year, I went back to do a studio production of Of Mice and Men with um, Tim Baker directing, who was the uh, assistant director there, associate director, I can't remember his official title. Anyway, we're doing (laughs) that, and we're doing a lot of school's productions of it, um, school's performances, you know, um, and some evening performances because it was on the set text and so on. 
and I was playing slim and it was, it was all right. You know, it was fine <laughs> doing that part. And, you know, um, I was just glad to be back there. I loved it. Anyway, meanwhile, in the main house, they were doing the Norman conquests and, um, my partner at the time, Vivian Parry was in the cast and, um, Graham Turner was playing Norman and, um, yeah, it, and they were doing all three and they rehearsed all three together. Like I imagine that you need to, um, Anyway, they put on Table Manners, the first one. Oh, I'm aware, by the way, that Matthew Waters talked about uh, Norman Conquest, didn't he, in, in, your, in an earlier episode? So he's probably got much, he probably had much more intelligent things to say about the plays, <laughs> but I'll just tell you about my experience. So um, anyway, what happened is they, they, they put on Table Manners, the first one, then they were teching and putting on Living Together, and they did, I think, two previews on the second or third preview. Graham Turner snapped his Achilles on stage. He was on a Friday night, and uh, if, I think he did about 20 minutes before the end and, like, just sat on the arm of a chair and finished the play and oh, then God. got whisked away to hospital and his leg put in full plaster for, for three months or something, you know? Oh, so God. he was just out of it. So that was Friday night. Um, the weekend was kind of confusing. That You know, Terry, I think, was looking for someone who'd done it recently and so on. Um, nobody... Said, nobody really said, Steph, why don't you, couldn't you do that? But I was thinking myself, I could do that. <laughs> and then on Sunday night, um, Terry, in fact, did phone me and said, could you come over? And I went over and he didn't ask me to do it. He said, if I asked you to do this tomorrow morning, would you do it? And I said, uh, yeah, of course, you know, who wouldn't? Um, so cut a long story short, the next morning he did ask me. And I had two performances of um, had two performances of Mice and Men that day. They couldn't get me out of those. But I started to learn it and I started to, in, in any breaks I had, I was on stage with Terry kind of, you know, big, looking at the blocking and so on. Mm-hmm. And then I had Tuesday and Wednesday with the full cast on the stage, blocking it, learning it. And Thursday, we did a dress rehearsal and I went on that night on Thursday oh, night. God. Oh, my God. Without the script? <laughs> Like, yeah. did you learn it? Oh my yeah. god! Yeah, I have no idea, absolutely no idea how I could do that, and I know that today my brain could not do that. <laughs> I don't know how much I approximated. I mean, probably a fair bit, you know. But yeah. I did. Yeah, I did, and I went. Oh on. And then, of god. course, it doesn't end there because I mean, I was far too young. Graham was a good bit older than me. I was only thirty, and. I think you need to be minimum late thirties to play that part. So I was mm. too young, but you know he was desperate, and um, <laughs> and then on the and then of course because they're doing the trilogy, so we were only playing living together for a few nights until they then went on to tech around around the garden the third one, um, and they you know they were meant to have a, a kind of week of tech in that and putting it on, but that week became my rehearsal week for that then, and so then oh, on the following God. week we put on round around the garden and I'd learned that. And then they were bringing table manners back. And and so then we were playing around around the garden. And in the daytime, I was rehearsing table manners with them. And then after however many days, we got table manners back on. And then we were doing them in, you know, doing them as a... And could you um, remember the first play? <laughs> like, I mean, I, well, it stay I mean, in your brain? I mean, it was, yeah, as I say, I did the, you know, I did Living Together was the middle one first. And then when I came back to doing that, then I sort of had a look at the lines again and realised how much <laughs> I'd been approximating it. <laughs> But um, but of course, and the thing is now when I think about it, I you know I don't know how I did it at that pace is the thing. It's one thing mm. being able to sort of vaguely remember lines, but with Akebourne, 
the pace and the timing is the thing, you know, otherwise you're going to cock it all up if you, you know, if you're sort of half remembering stuff and, and coming in at a different pace. And But I, you know, I've got to say, the other five were just incredible. It was um, the late Bob Blythe and it was Charles Millam and it was Sarah Malin, who I still see actually most days at Brockwell Lido swimming. And as I say, um, Vivian Parry and Jan Pearson. And uh, yeah, it was unbelievable that, um, yeah, they were, they were amazing, but um, that's, that was, yeah. I, so I've chosen it just because it, you know, going to close the year before change my life, but, but that more than anything changed my whole perspective and outlook um, as an actor. Um, partly because it kind of reinforced my relationship with Terry hands and meant that, I mean, I, you know, you could put it bluntly and say, well, he owed me then, you know. And so he gave me some <laughs> great parts to do um, for many years after at Cloyd, you know. Um, but it did, yeah, I mean, cemented a, a great, and I learned a, a huge, huge amount with him, from him, you know. Um, as I say, as I started talking about this Shakespeare sonnets sessions that we did, and, you know, mm-hmm. and so I went on to do Twelfth Night with him and Leah with him and Troilus and Cressida with him, you know. So... And many other different things, you know, Pinter and so on. And um, yeah, and so that that relationship was cemented through that experience. But also, it just sort of changed my attitude. Again, going back to that eighteen-year-old with not a huge amount of confidence, it kind of made me think. Well, actually, you know, if you dive <laughs> into this, you know, I've got quite a bit to offer. I think, you know, and it and and it just sort of it gave me a huge amount of confidence actually to have been able to achieve that and. Um, yeah, to to I think just as a person as well, to look back and to think, yeah, you know what, I could have easily that evening said to Terry, you know, no, I, look, there's no way I'll do that, you know, yeah, and just bottled it. Um, or at any point, you know, there were many times where I would go back to a dressing room and sit there, you know, in either in shock or in tears, thinking I'm never going to do this, you know. Um, when, what, during, when you were trying to get the plays on their feet? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There were moments when, because, I mean, if you think of re- not just rehearsing it and remembering where to go and what to do, but actually learning the lines during that time as well. So, you know, when, whenever there was a coffee break or a fag break, I wasn't having one. I was just learning the next page, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's incredible what your brain can do when you, you know, so I was getting up really I wasn't sleeping well Terry gave me some sleeping tablets so <laughs> you know I tried not to drink too much and take some sleeping tablets and get some sleep you know but um but I wasn't getting much and I was waking really early and learning you know for a couple of hours before going in I was just learning and then 15 minute tea break I was learning you know hours lunch break I was learning 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 and just quickly bolting some lunch you know and it's incredible what your brain can do when it has to you know so, but yeah, I could have bottled it and I didn't. And I'm really glad, really, just for the rest of my life that I did that. You know? Yeah, definitely. And and what was it like? What was the relationship with the audience like? Like when you did a show like that, are you just, mm. you know, those, are you just sort of petrified and just trying to hammer through it? Or, well, to a certain extent, you, especially you know, on the first night. I mean, I had no idea what I was doing on the first <laughs> night. You know, it was, um, I was just sort of carried through. Um, but but it, but what was wonderful, especially doing Round Around the Garden, the final one, which which Graham had never done, and I'd seen Graham in Table Manners. I hadn't seen him in Living Together. I'd seen him in Table Manners, and I knew how right. brilliant he was. It was a bit intimidating, you know. Mm. Um, if you don't know who Graham Turner is, by the way, he's the bread man in Dinner Ladies. Um, if you remember him coming, yeah, up. But, I, know, that's like the most, love him. That's the most kind of memorable thing on TV. He's done, but he's done a million other things. Obviously, I shouldn't, you know, put mm-hmm. people into 
little boxes like that, but he's great. He's a wonderful actor. And um, yeah, so um, he'd, I'd, yeah, he had seen him and it was a bit intimidating. But when I did Run Around the Garden, he'd never actually put that on stage, you know. And then mm. when we were playing all three and we were doing trilogy days, then I really started to feel like some ownership of it, you know. Mm. And, um, and to develop that relationship with an audience over a whole day, um, my parents were very loyal, came to everything, and they came to a trilogy day, and that was a fantastic feeling to have them there. Because that's the other thing I didn't say. Their amateur company, uh, like many amateur companies, one of their you know favorite things to do were acorns. Mm. Um, and you know, with all due respect, they were a little bit ploddy and not brilliantly <laughs> done. You know, so for them to see a pr- professional production with their son in, you know, I'm sure yeah. they were found quite thrilling. And so to do those. I mean, and that's not, I, I don't mean in disrespect to that. I just think that with, with amateurs, they don't get the rehearsal time mm. and they don't have the kind of consistent quality of actors throughout the cast to be able to do Akebourne with the kind of pace and touch that it needs. Mm. Actually, it needs, you know, you know, it, it needs professionals quite often to do that, you know. So, um, yeah, so that was great to have that relationship with the audience on whole trilogy days to see them, you know. I mean, Matthew probably talked about how the plays work, that they work concurrently each, you know, mm. each in a different area of the house. Um and they're I listened I listened to them again uh, recently actually. And um just because I knew I might, you know, I would talk about them. And uh the, on I listened to it like on an audio drama recording. Right, right yeah. And the, and the woman introducing it called it um what did she say? A cynical masterpiece, <laughs> which I like. And then I and then I saw reviews. You know, like people leave on Audible, people leave reviews. And somebody left this review. Uh, they said, "Well acted conversations about nothing of any importance. Great to listen to while you prepare dinner." <laughs> <laughs> which I thought was a great comment. Because it's actually... almost it's almost the whole of the industry in a way. <laughs> great description <laughs> but actually they're, they're not you know they're, they're about so much more than that and um you know people think because amateur companies do them because they're great fun to do and they're great fun to watch because of that i think professional industry matthew might have said this that can be a bit sniffy about them you know yeah, yeah. and um and i don't think they should be because because they're, they're great they're really dark and poignant as well as being very funny you know and I think the Norman Conquest were early plays. I think he got darker, the you know, in his later mm. writing. But it, you know, even Norman Conquests is you know got that dark cynicism to it. Well, I think like it feels. I don't know if you feel this, but I feel like populism is almost becoming like a dirty word in theatre. This mm. idea that like if it's funny and you enjoy it, it's somehow not as good. Mm. Um, so the idea, I, I, I think the idea that, yeah, for the, an audience might enjoy it sh- should validate it by itself, let alone the fact that, yeah, Aikbon also yeah. has a genius for making you laugh, but slipping in these yeah. kind of really meditative, darker tones. Well, I think that, I mean, I don't know whether in 100 years Aikbon will be considered in the same light as Chekhov, but I mean, mm-hmm. he, he might be, you know, he might yeah, be, because yeah, yeah. Chekhov in his day were, you know, they were, they were it was, yeah, they were funny. <laughs> they were funny, and they're not always done to be funny, but they were, I think, in their day, and sometimes are now. You know, mm-hmm. um, and I think Eggborn, you know, might, might well, might well be considered in the same. Some of his greatest stuff, you know, it's, it's really, it's dark and cynical, and um, 
you know, really shines a light on the sort of, uh, you know, often kind of emptiness and uh, frustration of relationships. Mm. I was thinking about it, you know, they've written in the early 70s and, you know, um, I think people, you know, because because now relationships are much more transient, you know, so if you're unhappy in a relationship these days, people tend to split up, whereas in those days they didn't tend to split up, so they were unfaithful, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Um, and especially by the 70s, I think, because um, but there was still that legacy of remaining within marriages, so divorces were still relatively uncommon, Um but they'd been the sexual revolution. So, you know, people, you know what I mean? Yeah. People kind of felt like if they were just stuck in a loveless, sexless marriage, that they were missing out. So instead of splitting up and going off with someone else, they would be unfaithful, you know? And I think mm. there was, I think we look back at the seventies at a time when infidelity was fairly common. You know? yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And he reflects this, you know, and, 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 you know, if you know anything about his own life then you know, his, his mum was a single mother and, um, you know, it, it yeah, and and Norman Conquest isn't just you know the so the mum in the attic is not just a you know a boring old battle act. She was they talk about it like you know about the sailors that she'd go off with when they'd go to the seaside when they were kids and stuff. And you know mm. you you kind of it's easy to miss those references, but actually it's kind of quite dark, you know. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, you've done a bit of Eightborn, have you? Seth? Yeah, like, you've done a few shows. And another thing that strikes me about him that I think sometimes we miss um, is like he's audience focused. Mm, and very much. Um, I feel like the industry more and more it becomes artist focused, which is incredible as well. The support mm. and, you know, the belief in the artists, which I completely agree with and wouldn't want to take away. But I really love when I read his plays, I'm like, you've thought about like, what is the audience experience? They're totally. paying some money. They're coming out in the cold night. Like what are they getting for that? Yeah, totally. Um, and not just in terms of context, because, but in terms of technique, he's a master, mm. you know, um, I'd forgotten, as I say, until listening back to this on audiobook, that you know, just the way times jokes that on paper look just don't look funny at all, you know. <laughs> but because of the rhythm he's written it, he, yeah. you know, you get a belting laugh. And you and what was wonderful about doing that production, Terry understood that he really was in tune with the way Akebone wrote, and he and he totally understood audiences as well, Terry. And and so he really kind of helped us learn how to. Um, how to sort of be in charge of the audience for one thing to make mm. them laugh, you know, it's almost yeah. like, you know, uh, you know, we talk about, cause, cause actually they can get out of control as well, you know, and that they, and they can, you know, he used to teach us that you've got to, you've got to tell them when they can laugh, you know, otherwise they'll be, <laughs> otherwise they'll be laughing in random places and that would be a mess, you know? So Akeborn writes in a way that, you know, that they laugh in the right places and Terry encourages us to use that rhythm and also to just kind of, hold the reins of a show because some you know on a, in a hilarious play like um abigail's party um like norman conquest and actually slip of the tongue but i did learn it a bit with abigail's party the previous year with fiona buffini when something is truly hilarious on stage the actors have to be the kind of coach drivers you know in coaching old-fashioned terms i mean holding the reins of this kind of beast you know hold, holding the reins <laughs> of these wild horses because if they don't um, and an audience is just allowed to laugh randomly without any, you know, rhythm or sense to it, then then nobody really enjoys. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's I think skilled comic actors. I love working with skilled comic actors who know how to do that. You know, who know mm. just how to keep that tension, how to how to have that uh, discipline of rhythm 
to so that um, a, an audience is with them and that they are kind of leading the audience to laugh when they when they say they can you know <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> it's kind of weird to think of comedy as as control isn't it because i suppose mm. as an audience it, it it feels about wildness and oh, but that's what a great stand-up will do you know i mean a great yeah. stand-up makes it look like obviously they're just making it up and da, da, da. but the, everything about a really skilled stand-up is about them holding those reins and mm. and allowing that you know it's like like being a dog trainer or something do you know what I mean it's like about <laughs> you you know you, you're released when I say you're released to laugh when I say you know yeah and of course yeah, yeah. it's kind you know it's not it you know because it's it's giving the audience the best experience you know yes yeah definitely and have you as a performer is it is that the thrill for you? Like, is there a difference between playing those kind of comedies and playing, say, more serious roles? Do you find more joy in those comedy roles or the, the rigour and craft mm. of that? Or is it, a, you like uh, them both? And Yeah, I do like them both, I think. But I do love, I do love that, you know, that um, it's like a secret, isn't it? You know, it's like mm, a secret yeah. that the audience don't know you're doing, you know? <laughs> and, and it is, I tell you when I... I, I when I, I slipped the tongue and said Abigail's party, and then I did Abigail's party in um, in in London. Then a few years later, I'd done it at Floyd, and then I did it at the, the last production ever at the old Hampstead Theatre, the old hut that mm. they had before they opened the brand spanking new one. And they did Abigail's party because it was their most famous, you know, thing that they'd done there of new writing, and it was a thirty-year anniversary production. And so I I was cast in that, and um, it was it was very successful and we took it into the ambassadors in the West end. So we did a long run there of six or whatever more months. Um, and then um, they took it on tour. None of us did the tour, but then the tour was really successful as well. And the guy playing Tony that I played dropped out and they came to me the first review refusal to say, do you want to go back on tour? And I went, yeah, all right. So I went on tour with it, with a new cast. And um, so anyway, consequently, I played Tony in Abigail's party more than anybody has played anything in Abigail's party. You know? <laughs> um, I've done it a lot. You know? And if you know Abigail's party, Tony doesn't say much. Um, but uh, what I loved is sitting there, not saying much, and just figuring out the absolute perfect timing for those releases of laughs that you get, you know? And, and the nights when you nail it, just by saying, yeah. Or no, or whatever, in answer to a long preamble question that you're annoying that his annoying wife gives, and he just goes, No, or whatever, and you release the audience with that. I loved it. I loved the timing of that. And like a what best possible angle should you you know what I mean? Like where where should you where should your focus be at that time? And you know, I I love the rigor of that actually. Mm. Um and yeah, it kind of feels like, oh, you know, you're not really in the play if you're not doing that. But I think you are. I think you're you know, I think I think actors always have that an eye to that technique. Anyway, otherwise you 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 would never you know you'd always be standing in the wrong place or something. You could just stand wherever you liked, you know. So um, <laughs> you know, we have to have some kind of discipline physically and vocally of what in what we're doing, you know. Um, so yeah, I do love that element of comedy, um, and I, I think probably that... probably enjoy that more than than drama. <laughs> yeah i mean but it also to me that just links back to you know where that all started it, it, in swansea in the grand you know yeah um i've, done, a, I've done an eggborn there actually it is as well oh have you oh yeah God, that, was great. In, uh, that was before i went to cloyd actually it was one of the few things i'd done on a big stage before i went to cloyd yeah they did they used to do a summer weekly rep 
where it wasn't like the old days summer rep of like the same company doing something week after week but it was you'd only get like four days rehearsal or something there oh, so i did communicate oh indoors. it was a mess it was a mess <laughs> but i i, I don't know I, lo- I love that you you, you sit between the sort of, I feel, actor as artist and actor as sort of craftsperson. There's like yeah. a really great boundary, it feels like. You sit on in that comedy, to me, really typifies that, that you're sort of, one foot is in the kind of lived moment and the other foot is in the awareness of craft and rigour. Yeah, I think artists are, I, I, you know, I, I don't know, I never sort of call myself an artist. I, I, just, <laughs> I mean, writers are artists, you know, and painters are artists, people who, you know, the people who, who actually create the work. Um, I do think actors are craftspeople, really, more, right, more yeah, than artists, yeah. I think. You know, I mean, we and yeah. there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, you know, I'm an artisan, not an artist, I think. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, don't, I don't come up with anything other than I deliver what has been commissioned, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's how I look at it. It's brilliant. Well, look, Steph, thank you so much for giving your time this afternoon. And, and oh, is that it? it? <laughs> that's it i mean that was it was easy as that it was so great to hear i mean what an experience to put on and also what i love is when you got bust in to put on a play you got bust in to put on a trilogy of plays i mean that is oh, terrifying yes. um <laughs> uh, but great about that and and your experience up to this point it's just absolutely fantastic so thank mm. you so much for giving your time and, and thank you joe it's been a pleasure oh it's such a pleasure we'll, we'll speak soon yeah see you later Thanks so much for tuning in, everyone. If you enjoy this episode of Play Crush, we would really appreciate it if you could rate, review and subscribe as it helps other people find the podcast. The Old Vic would like to thank principal partner Royal Bank of Canada and the T.S. Eliot Estate for their support. Sherman Theatre would like to thank the Arts Council Wales and everybody who has supported us through this difficult time. 